freestyle on the show. Like, we just want to get on the mic. We are. We have handwritten notes for run of show, which is uh, <laughs> which I'm fine in this environment. I like freestyling. Chuck usually talks shit to me and does not like the freestyling way. So we're going to see how he performs today. But Colin, despite our free wheeling today and going through without a run of show, we do have the video clips. So let's jump in. <laughs> All right, Colin. I know you didn't want to talk COVID again. So I texted Colin when I was like, hey, let's talk about this COVID and your reaction last night was, I'm so over this. But I, I roll emoji. I do not want to talk about COVID. But we have to do this one last time because a lot happened in the two weeks that we've been gone. And I really think these are actually important. So the number one thing that happened on the 13th of December, noted Dallas cardiologist Peter McCullough went on Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's most downloaded podcast ever. 40 million downloads, talked about COVID, talked about a lot of stuff, particularly things our government had done wrong. Um, we've seen Fauci out talking about how isolation could be bad. First time ever that mental health has entered his equation. He also said hospitalizations can be incidental, not driven by COVID. People are on CNN talking about masks don't work. PCR tests can be flawed. Omicron, we had breakthrough cases. Vaccines didn't appear to be working against Omicron. Natural immunity didn't. But as we said on BDE, what, about a month ago, variants are always, generally speaking, less virulent. And that's what we're seeing play out with Omicron. Robert Malone went on um, Joe Rogan, talked about mass formation, psychosis, uh, which became a big deal. Literally, Google was manually manipulating uh, search results through all this. And most importantly, AOC even admitted that maybe the red states are right and vacation in, in Florida. Yes, I guess that does mean I want to date her by bringing her up. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, I already I, I ruined your chances of that. Just Chuck I was trying to get did. AOC on his show and... He had contact with someone in her car while she was in Houston, and I was simultaneously shit posting on Twitter about her. He's like, "Thanks, Colin. You have the chances of getting AOC on the show." Exactly. So you didn't have a chance anyway. It, it, exactly. <laughs> so, the yeah. true love of my life. All right. So you know, I took a two-week, roughly two-week hiatus from Twitter. Um, that's how I eradicated COVID from my life. Um, it's just not hearing about it constantly from fear-driven media sources. But let's talk about how that relates to energy because that's why we're talking about it. That's the only reason I gave it a pass to talk about it on this show. Fucking tired of talking about it, but it does have big implications on oil and gas and the energy sector as a whole. You know, we talked about a lot last year this idea of pinup demand, and we saw, um, you know, we did see that increase for demand. Do you think that there's still pinup demand coming out of this thing? You know, from for me. CGW here said, so what we're hearing is that the government is about to give up. Like It sounds like people are over it. I think so. And what does that mean for energy and oil and gas demand? Well, it means that where we are with oil demand is basically where we were pre-COVID. The only notable exception is flying miles, right? In terms of jet fuel is kind of still down 10 to 12% since then. That's gone. I mean, you're going to have flights delayed. 
because pilots get sick and they're going to have to navigate yeah. crews and the like. But at the end of the day, I think your point that you texted back to me last night, COVID's gone. Yeah. It is now gone as an influence in our life. My thing is, is like for me personally, I know there's pent up demand for me because like I haven't traveled internationally because I don't want to fucking deal with COVID restrictions in foreign nations, right? And so if that went away, I know that I'm going to be on a jet somewhere as soon as I can, right? So I know if that's true for me, that's probably true for a lot of other people too. So do you think that, you know, we, you know, what, what do you think happens to oil demand over, you know, let's call it just the next 12 months in 2022? I mean, do you think that we see it, I mean, have a sharp, acute increase? I think we're over 100 million barrels a day in usage, setting all-time record highs. The only asterisk we have is an economic recession and the reason we ha may have an economic recession is just the cold winter in Europe. They're shutting down industry right now, like we've been talking about on this podcast. That That's, I think, our one asterisk. Outside of that, pandemic-related issues are gone. You know, we got a green light. We're going to go, go, go. So we're, yeah. we're, we're, talking, we're talking 100 million barrels a day, which is interesting because you roll that into supply OPEC's meeting, they're going to release 400,000 more barrels. Did you know over the last four to five months, they have not hit their targets of releasing an additional 400,000 barrels that they did last time. The Russians over the last couple of months haven't hit their targets yet. Libya's down what? 500,000, 600,000 barrels because well, Libya's just Libya. It's a shit show. Yeah. What, why do rebels decide oil shouldn't produce? <laughs> it's like it, it seems to be like in the rebels handbook of, oh, don't let the oil produce. Go blow up. <laughs> go blow up a pipeline. That's what we do. But anyway, so I think the the, the narrative for the rest of the world is we've got excess supply because oil's at 76, but the curve's in backwardation. I think everybody in our circles thinks we got a green light. We're going to go, go, go. Oil's going higher because supply's just not going to be there. I posted a tweet the other day that said, I can't believe we're at 11.4 million barrels a day in the United States. We've been creeping up slowly. And the response back that I think Shride is, it's because all we've been doing is completing ducks. And there are no more ducks left to complete. Because yeah. I mean, so just your duck inventory is diminishing. Is right? now in yep. effect zero because 20% of ducks will never get completed because they figure out spacing so wrong. So, yeah, yeah I think COVID's gone. It's off the table. Um, but there are two other issues that I want to bring up and why we're kind of beating a dead horse is I think it's really important for us at Digital Wildcatters, us as storytellers for the industry, for in energy advocacy to sit there and realize the death of COVID didn't happen because of the mainstream media. It didn't happen because of people getting on CNN and shouting. It went outside the mainstream media. It was Joe Rogan and it was Peter McCullough and Roger, uh, Robert Malone going on. And I think all three of those folks will tell you the truth cannot be concealed. Information will always come out. Yeah, you know what's funny on that point, though, is that even, you know, what are we, 20, 30 years into the age of the Internet, 
And now we're really coming into the age of decentralized media. There's still a lot of people out there that are like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. What'd you do your research on the internet? Like, yeah, if we have the most fucking powerful tool ever invented right in our pocket where we can get access to someone like Dr. Peter McCullough and Joe Rogan is just the one that facilitates that conversation and seeks truth. Right. And so like, I fucking love to see it. I love to see Joe Rogan just soaring past CNN and Fox news ratings and really just seeing, you know, the, the power shift and media and there and who controls the narrative because people want truth and they want genuine and um authentic discussions and hey look that's what we do at digital wildcatter so hopefully uh, chuck can be putting up 40 million 40 million downloads like joe rogan um you know i'm just calling greg kane Budagate too <laughs> we need that so but i think this conversation segues well into our next topic um talking about energy stock performance both historically over the last 12 months and in the future of the next 12 months Let's despite get handwritten notes we have a video for a video, it colin man. I'm not going to lie. I kind of felt that white wig <laughs> look. Kind of, I look fucking serious. Like, I wouldn't fuck with that dude. I mean, we've got Alexander the, the Great in the white <laughs> yeah. wig. Yeah. It comes in threes, people. Be careful. Oh, man. So, let's talk about energy sector being the number one performing uh, sector in uh, public markets. I haven't been following along, um, you know, probably near as much as you have, Chuck. So why don't you dive into that? Yeah. So basically energy and how they define energy, we need to all go Google that and look it up. But basically energy was up 45 percent for the year, the number one sector within the S&P 500. So we won. According to, you know, Dan Pickering, this was the year to make uh, energy great again. And we did that. I think the thing that's underappreciated by folks out there, we still only account for 3% of the S&P 500 in terms of the market value. And why does that matter? Because every money manager out there is graded in one way, shape, or form of how did you do versus the S&P 500. And when you're 3% of the S&P 500, it's hard to make a difference on whether that money manager performs or for that matter, underperforms so they ignore us. Yeah. Have you seen that graphic um, that's floating around the internet in the last couple of years and it shows Apple and it's got Apple's logo and then it has all of the energy companies within them. I mean, you're talking Exxon, Chevron, Shell, all the big companies and Apple just doors the uh, energy industry. And it's, that's kind of mind boggling to think about of how small of a percentage the energy industry makes up of S&P. And I hate to queue up glory days in the background and, you know, be all <laughs> boomer on us. But, you know, back in the 80s or in the 70s and 80s, there were times when we were 30% of the S&P 500. So you as a money manager had to know energy, had to get the call right. You had to have exposure to it. If there wasn't enough equity out there. Companies could raise money. And today it just doesn't matter. So, But doesn't that like show like some level of dislocation in the market? I mean, Everything is downstream from energy, right? Energy is literally the most important industry because nothing in the S&P 500 could exist without it. And so how can it only make up 3% 
of the total market when it's so vital and important to everything. Like Apple would not exist without the ability to have energy yeah. to produce iPhones, right? Yep. So like it doesn't make this kind of like blows the whole idea of rational markets <laughs> <laughs> out of out of the water, right? But it's just it's just crazy to me that the most important well, industry can make up such a small percentage so, of the market. So I have a theory on that is that basically I think when we were much larger pieces of the S&P 500, it was people wanting exposure to oil and gas prices because they were so volatile that to your point, it's so important that if oil goes from $20 a barrel to $80 a barrel, holy shit, my Apple stock may go down, the rest of the economy may tank and all that. The world, outside of the people probably watching this podcast, hi mom, but um, outside of that, truly think oil's going through the roof. But if you look at the curve, the four-year strips at 61. So basically the world is saying oil's capped at $60 a barrel, Therefore, you're only worthy of 3% of the S&P. The extra 7, 10, 15, 20% of the S&P that I used to give you in terms of money was for exposure to volatility. There is no more volatility, and so it's gone. So, you know, I think one of the things I say in my podcast this week, because what I do is the year-end summary, is one of the things I say is, you better be really, really careful with your internally generated cash flow because that's, I think, all you've got because I don't think access to capital changes until you are a meaningful part of the S&P 500 and some money manager is missing his or her targets because they're not getting their energy allocation. Yeah, they don't right. have exposure yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, you know, moving into some other news you know i think that what you see in the oil and gas space is interesting but i also think what you see in this isn't necessarily happening yet but in the climate tech renewable space of the public equities market so hold on be patient with me here as i kind of get to the point but this week elizabeth holmes was charged with um I guess would be considered securities fraud. Um, you know, she had different counts that were related to uh, defrauding investors, these venture capitalists, and then also medical fraud uh, charges. Apparently, she wasn't found guilty on the medical uh, fraud charges, which is bullshit. Um, but was found guilty on charges of defrauding investors. And why I think that's important is because you have several of these high-profile. Uh, fraudulent founder cases in the works right now. And one of those is Trevor Milton with uh, Nikola. If you don't know the story there, you know, Nikola was uh, supposed to be this innovative electric vehicle um, commercial trucking company. You know, this Trevor really thought that, hey, I'm, I'm Elon Musk. I'm going to be visionary and change the world. And this report comes out um, exposing them and showing, you know, things like, hey, in their actual test demo, they had a video of their truck rolling. It, it was literally just rolling down a hill <laughs> off, of, off of gravity, right? And it's kind of discouraging, you know, especially for founders that are building real businesses and do things by the book that you see these people like Elizabeth and Trevor Milton go make billions of dollars personally. You know, they become multi-billionaires while they're fraudulent. But you look at Elizabeth Holmes, Elizabeth, you know, is a female, she's young, she has this sob story, and she's still found guilty. 
how do you think Trevor Milton's going to fare in his hearing? White dude, privileged, like they're not going to give a shit about him. And, you know, they're going to, I think that they're going to really lay the hammer down on him, which is good, which that's what should be done. I think Elizabeth got off easy, but that's also going to have some implications and ramifications, second order effects through the climate tech uh, circles as well. And especially like, you know, we've talked about it before, like Rivian, like I don't think Rivian's a fraudulent company. I think they're legitimate, but you know, their valuation just, it's hard to wrap your head around, especially when you look at how they compare to Ford. And, you know, I, I think that um, some, some point the market catches up to these lofty valuations. Nicholas still, I don't have it pulled up it's here. It's $10 a share. It's I don't still, know what it's that is. still a multi-billion dollar company. I'm like, dude, they produce $0 in revenue. They don't have a fucking that product. That is not but... true. They put, they put solar panels on the guy's ranch. What is that? $100,000 to generate of revenue? $20,000 worth of revenue. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, Digital Wildcatters produces way more revenue than Nikola does, and we don't have near the valuation. Maybe we need to go fucking SPAC, get in the public market, and just shit posts. Um, I'd be good at that. I know that you sounds would. great. That's, no, we're gonna I, deploy Chuck in that manner. Fucking do something around here. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think the important point you bring up is something we all need to be cognizant of. They're big themes. They become bubbles. In every sense, every time we've had a bubble, you always have fraudulent actors. I mean, snake oil salesmen have been around forever. We've got a cure for this. We've got a cure for that. And I think you're absolutely right that we need to be cognizant of that. And the important thing is that we don't allow that to necessarily get in the way of the big themes. I mean, if we're committed to decarbonizing our energy system, for instance, we got to be really careful and make sure, you know, the fraudulent actor doesn't derail from that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, the saddest part about uh, Elizabeth getting... Um, convicted on the investor stuff is okay that's bad she defrauded a lot of smart sophisticated people but the promise of her medicine and what happened to people that thought they could actually get tests from a single drop of blood that's really bad yeah that's what pisses me off the most about her conviction is that who gives a fuck about the investors like no one gives a shit about venture capitalists but the people that you know she defrauded in terms of their well-being and their health, like there's no, you know, there's no justice for those people. And well, just remember, Al Capone got convicted of tax fraud, yeah. not the Valentine's <laughs> Day massacre. Yeah, hundred percent. One of the greatest lines of all time when he was told for the Valentine's Day massacre they were going to have to kill upwards of thirty uh people he said don't worry i'll send flowers <laughs> so damn yeah. ruthless all right so let's get into we want to get some predictions uh for Hold this on. year we might actually have a video for that we got a video for we it. got a video for that All right, Chuck. I'm not going to lie. I didn't come up with any predictions, so I'm going to just wing this. All right. Let's do it. Let's start at the top. Oil price, give me high-low for the year and where it ends. Okay. Well, I'll preface this with I am committed. You know, I put out publicly on Twitter that oil would – WTI would hit $200 in the next 18 months. 
I don't know what the date on that is, but I do know it's sometime in 2022. So my high, I have to stick with $200 just because I'm fucking committed at this point. Am I feeling comfortable in it? No. <laughs> but I'm not going to let facts and reason get in the way of my prediction. There we go. Um, so $200 on the high end. Um, you know, I think that we're past peak COVID and... Know, as we talked earlier, that we're going to see demand go up. So I don't think supply is going to catch up with it. So it's hard to see anything under, you know, $80 uh, for me on the low side. Gas. Um, I never know what to say on gas. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, the weather actually matters again. When did that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're too young to remember this, but we used no. to sit around. No, 100%. That's I what mean, like, no, seriously, had like, you a look whole at meteorology. You look at department. someone my age you know, 32 years old range, like my entire working career in oil and gas, like it's been bearish for nat gas uh, minus the past call it year. And so it's hard not to be bearish on gas just <laughs> long term. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it, it stays around, let's call it $3 by the, by the end of the year. I don't think that we see nat gas prices skyrocketing like it did. Um, the previous year yeah no so on oil we will peak out at 97.25 at the end of the year it's oddly specific so, yes <laughs> that's me mr specificity <laughs> i actually said it at the nape speech so i'm i'm pump committed on that so we I have prior was, we have prior commitments we have prior commitments. <laughs> dance with who brung you so we'll, we'll top out at 97.25 i think as a low we may track down to 65 that would be opec putting more online opec actually hitting its targets in terms of delivering oil uh that being said i think you're right they're not hitting those those are more press releases it feels like right now and demand's going through the roof as we talked about covid's off the table what happens with natural gas is it's very tied to oil um for two reasons. Now, uh, natural gas liquids prices are worldwide are based on oil prices. As they go up, that dries up somewhat demand for natural gas. Um, and it was interesting this uh, this past week, we were actually the the United States was the largest exporter of natural gas liquids. First time in our history we've, we've ever done that. So I think we're pushing the capacity there. All that uh, to say, I think you're right. We hang out at three, maybe two seventy five, but we certainly won't have the gas bull run that we had in uh, 2021. Nice while it lasted, but uh, yeah, we we won't have that. All right, what does rig count do this year? That's We've basically question. doubled over about the last year or so because we so crazy. It's just you know slowly week by week you know more drilling is just like hey root counts we got seven up, you know we got know, eight we're adding five you we know like nine. just slowly yeah. slowly but surely um what are we at now do we have a number now let's look like i'll let, let you google it i'm gonna guess 625 but that feels high u.s as of december 31st 2021 was 586 586 okay yeah. and 90 90 in canada um i think they're going to continue to increase um just given you know prices increasing um rig count's going to increase 
I'll say 750 by the end of next year. I think that's right. I think 750, 800 sounds about right. You know, uh, call it a third. Uh, I bet it's going to be 85 to 90% private companies doing it, though. I don't see the public companies adding much more than where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, I ran this analysis on Wells Drilled in 2019. And it's really interesting, the breakdown, because you had 30% of the wells were drilled by private equity or private operators. Another 30% was uh, drilled by small cap uh, public companies. And I think I define that as anyone under $5 billion uh, market cap. And then, you know, you work your way up the chain, but only 5% were drilled by the majors. Like people think that the majors, you know, are the ones driving activity in the US and it couldn't be further from the truth. And I think that you'll see the same, you know, I think if you look at kind of what's happening on a meta level, um, you know, especially like you look at like Diamondback and Pioneer and some of the comments that you see from leadership there, like they're very much focused on uh, generating free cash flow and not trying to generate value through the drill bit, right? So I think that you're going to have a lot of pressure on those public companies to do that. Private companies don't necessarily have the luxury of doing that. And, you know, like, for instance, there is this well um, a block away from my house out in uh, Katy, Texas, quill tubing unit out there. And I was like, what the fuck? I didn't even know there was a well right there. It turns out it's a Hillcorp well. And that well hasn't, you know, I talked to an engineer that had worked on that asset. He's like, that well hasn't been worked on in 10 years. And so obviously, you know, Hildebrand's going in there and saying, oh, shit, we're going in and opening up these wells and uh, doing some rework and stimulating them. So I think that uh, your private companies are going to be incentivized to do that. And they don't have the same incentives that public companies do. So I would agree with you that the, the lion's share of that's going to come from private companies. What does that do to rig rates and service costs if we're if nothing. we're talking <laughs> <laughs> nothing? I mean, that's dude, just talk about a shitty business OFS is. I mean, it doesn't matter if commodity prices are are going up and activity is going up, prices stay where they're at. And I mean, this is I think a really under talked about uh thing, but you know, 2014, 2016, you know, we started having an uptick in commodity prices, but OFS fees didn't come up. Like OFS has been in that, um, you know, that low price environment since 2014 and never came up out of it. And they're like the bastard trials to EMP. Like it doesn't matter if EMP is generating cash flow or if commodity prices are coming up. OFS has so much pressure on it because it's a race to the bottom for those guys, right? Like everyone is outbidding each other just to try to get work and um, EMPs are essentially going to go say, Hey, how can we run this million dollar job with the cheapest, cheapest bid? And OFS just like, I don't see any way that OFS is able to increase prices and generate revenue. It never felt like that on the EMP side, but you know, <laughs> I take your, uh, <laughs> I take your point. So give me one outside the box thing that happens in the energy world so that when we're sitting here on BD and whatever, four months, six months, eight months, we can run the clip back of this and say, you heard it here first. 
Oh man. Um outside the box energy prediction. I gotta think about this a bit. I think that I feel like it's gonna be something around nuclear energy, like something outside the box. I'm trying to think of what it is. Um one of the one of the spaceships is launched using electric power from a portable nuclear <laughs> that's, facility or that's, something. That's that's too far out. That's too far out. What I'm the box. what I'm gonna say is um, I don't know how to quantify this, but some significant level of or some material step change in fusion energy commercialization. Okay. I don't know how to quantify that as like something I can go back and be like, oh, look, I called it. But like, I think that's why that... we have editing. No, I think that I think that there is the potential to have, some, you know, some breakthrough in that technology. And that'll that'll be my wild prediction. I'm going to give a prediction outside of energy. OK, go ahead. Something that anyone listening to the show would probably give zero fucks about. But. Mm-hmm. I was right on a prediction in the media world two weeks ago. Um, Morning Brew acquired a newsletter, my friend's newsletter, The Water Coolest. I predicted that like a year and a half ago, and it was right on the money. So I'm going to go another media prediction. Barstool Sports is going to acquire liquidity in 2022. Oh, nice. Yeah, that'll give me something I can go back and there you go. on. There so, you go. Here's what's going to happen this year in the energy business that's going to be the big thing. Stick with me on this. All right. Your boy, Elon Musk, has taken, let's call it 50 to $60 billion off the table in cash, right? You know, he sold his stock this year. I, I don't know what the exact math is, but, you know, let's say he sold 50 or $60 billion worth of stock. He's got that cash in the bank. He views the rest of his Tesla holdings as kind of free money, play money. He goes on an acquisition spree like we've never seen. I think there will be some thought behind it, but he starts acquiring electric utilities, integrating Tesla technology, his storage. And if there is a storage solution to our grid, it's going to be driven by Tesla doing that. That is that is what that is what him having cash and him being able to live the life he wants to live, now he can do with his Tesla stock. And he has the greatest acquisition currency on the planet. All right. I do have an energy-related prediction All that right. I'll make. It's related to Tesla because this one can be quantified. Mm-hmm. Tesla stock, end of year, is up. I know there's a ton of people shorting it. A lot of people don't believe in Elon Musk, say selling off. A lot, of, a lot of factors that say, yeah, hey, the stock should go down. I'm saying that the stock is up by the end of the year. I have no skin in the game. I'm not an investor in Tesla. People may be like, well, if you fucking believe that, then buy some stock. I'll buy some stock. But I believe that it'll be up. Colin goes out on the limb with the coin flip. I like it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll go um, with that. So to end, to end this week, how we end all weeks. Our favorite, our favorite segment. Colin, this week, first co-recipient we've ever had on the Finger of the Week.
2020, 2021. F you guys. Good riddance. Glad to be gone. <laughs> On to 2022. I legitimately thought that it was going to be Elizabeth Warren again <laughs> this week. I've been out of the news cycle without having Twitter, so I don't know what's going on. But safe bet to be like Elizabeth Warren did something that warranted the finger of the week. So, you know, big congrats to Elizabeth for not receiving it. Yeah, exactly. that's you, <laughs> you escaped Chuck's wrath. There we go. So 2020, 2021. Yeah, it's not, not great years. So not great years, but they're done. The of the week. All right, guys. It doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. So we will be back next week. What time do we do this? 1030. 1030. Tuesday. Central time. time. Tuesday. Live Um, on uh, LinkedIn now. I like that. Yeah, we're live on LinkedIn. So if you uh, like LinkedIn for whatever fucking reason, (laughs) you can catch us over on LinkedIn. Uh, Make sure to share the show with your friends. We'll catch you guys next.